Hey, this is Annie. And Samantha. And welcome to Stuff I'm Never Told You, a production of iHeartRadio. It is time for another edition of Female First, which means we are once again joined by our friend and co-worker, Eves. Hello, Eves. Hey, y'all. Hey. Did we decide last time, is this the 20th? I think this is the 20th, officially. Well, you know, we were going to do a special thing, but uh, we forgot. So perhaps next time. <laughs> well, I think as far as we're all concerned, honestly, 20 is a cursed number after 2020 has happened. <laughs> You're so right. We can choose to You're celebrate right. a different number. Let's say 25th one. Let's do the 25th. I have to say okay. like a quarter of something. Okay. Okay. <laughs> a quarter of something, but we don't know what. <laughs> uh, technically. <laughs> People celebrate 25th anniversaries. Yeah. That's yeah, that's a big deal. Yeah. Okay. Quarter, right. Like quarter life crisis. People do those things, right? <laughs> sure. I'm just thinking of the negative of everything. Uh, yeah, you immediately went in the, the negative direction. That's fine. <laughs> fine. I'm fine. Everything's fine. <laughs> I do have a, since we've been opening these with horror movie like reviews or base questions. Are there any horror movies that come to mind that have planes involved? Oh, Final Destination is the ultimate plane movie. Oh, that yeah. scene is so genuinely terrifying to me. Like, mm-hmm. it is such a scary scene. Have you seen the Final Destination series, Samantha? Oh, yeah. Yes, I've seen the first one. Yeah. I don't think I've made it past the first one. Well, that's all you need to see for this here conversation. <laughs> right, right, right. So for people who don't know, like there are a series of Final Destinations and they're yes. all based around these kind of really... The scariest, like most illogical, but like also the most plausible things that could yeah. <laughs> could happen to yes. you that are just really, really kind of gruesome. And there's mm-hmm. a really kind of intense plane crash scene in the first movie. And that's, that's kind of kicked off all of the other events. And there's stuff about premonitions in the movie and stuff. But that is the first one that comes to mind for me. And oh, yeah. Because it truly scared me. Like, I yeah. I haven't watched that movie in a really long time, but I just remember thinking, good God, I hope this never happens to me. Well, it sticks with you. I mean, I think even people who haven't seen, like, the second one, for instance, like, just the trailer with the log coming off the car. Like, I can't drive behind yeah. trucks right. with logs on. I right. have to get out of the way yeah. just yeah. because of that movie. And, like, I remember in the first one, there's a weird like vodka spills and it like makes a trail and then the electrical <laughs> thing happens and then there's a fire. Like I just makes I'm a very clumsy so, person, so I'm yeah. like <laughs> it's so it's like a Rube Goldberg machine. Like yes, within right. one like incident, it's already a Rube Goldberg machine because something has to tip something else off. But right. like that's kind of what the whole entire movie is structured off of. Like <laughs> one thing. Didn't they have a shower scene? The kid dies in the shower, which is like my nightmare. Yeah. I'm gonna fall yes, and like, break my neck or get. They did. I think he gets hung by something. It's like right? a string. Uh, uh, yeah, like a. I can't remember exactly what or, it was, but like yeah. a thumb, very like, thin whether string. It was, like, cord. Mm-hmm. So that that to me is my nightmare. It's like I'm gonna fall in the shower and die. <laughs> yeah. No. Yeah. I mean, that is, I guess, not probably what's like irrational, but also possible. So, yeah. you well, know, so many yeah. stories of people falling and getting hurt anyway. Yeah. Like when you live alone, that's the immediate yeah. fear is like, oh, right. no one's going to find me and I'm going to be dead naked in the right. shower. And right. Then someone's going to find yeah. me that way. I that's think, even yeah. more, more horrifying. Yeah. I think the sh- extreme of it is irrational to be clear. Like it's <laughs> yeah. not irrational to get hurt. From right. That could right. happen to anyone, but yeah, right. like going, going far. What about you, Annie? Do you have any, are there any movies that come to mind? I actually, 
I, I have two. One of them is in a movie with the famous Twilight Zone episode with William Shatner. Uh, the one with the guy on the outside of the plane? Yes. <laughs> and you're like, how is he not getting blown away? Yes. Mysteries. Yes. Um, <laughs> I love that episode. And then one of my favorite horror movies is The Ring, the American version. The series goes downhill after that, I will say. So in Rings, Rings starts with a guy on a plane and he's like all nervous. And the lady next to him is like, what's wrong? And he immediately is like, well, I've watched this video and I'm not feeling this. I'm a little nervous. And she's like, you watched it. <laughs> and then, like she knows what it is. And then on the like little plane screens, the TV screens on the back of the seats, the, the video comes on and she comes out of the little plane screens. <laughs> you know what? I've seen that movie and I completely put it out of my head on purpose because it was so bad. But yeah. It was bad news. <laughs> I have not watched that one yet. Yeah. It's interesting in terms of like that there's a whole college course that is involved in watching the movie and then you find a tale someone to so you don't die but you get to like the very verge and then you show someone else and it's like a, a science experiment they're running. But guess what? <laughs> Samara doesn't like that. Ghosts don't like it when you game their system. True. <laughs> they're very particular. It, that's what I understand. <laughs> it's like it follows. The only movie I could think of was uh, Snakes on the Plane. Is that is that a is that a horror movie or is that I an action call, movie? I'd call it like an action thriller, maybe. Oh, okay, okay. There's maybe definitely... I could use those. I've actually never seen the movie, though. But that's for some reason, I that's the one movie that is in my head. I mean, the name says yeah. plane right in there. It's, yeah. And then sense. there's snakes. And I would not want to be stuck on a plane with snakes. Uh, it does sound scary. Yeah. It to does. be fair. Yeah. That's, yeah. <laughs> not that's loose my useless ones. pain moment. Ones that are cage. Not loose ones. Yes. <laughs> I just don't, I don't want to seem like I have any prejudice against snakes. You know? Yeah, we don't. We're not prejudiced against snakes here. I'm cool with snakes. I just would rather them not be loose around me in large quantities, especially on a plane. Yeah. No. Well, this. this yeah, I should have known that this would be a gruesome opening. I forgot about Final Destination, but you're right. That's the go-to. But we're not talking about <laughs> that specifically. But we're we're talking about flying in planes. So who did you bring for us today, Eve? Yeah, this story is a lot more lighthearted. It, uh, it is yes. Catherine Sui-Fun Chung. And she is the first Chinese-American woman to become a licensed pilot in the U.S. And as always, there are some asterisks around this. So the identification of her Chinese ethnicity. So she was actually born in China. But there is a little bit of debate around who was like her Chinese-American status and that the fact that there were other Chinese women pilots who weren't necessarily licensed was also a thing. So there were other women who were born in China and people who were born in America of Chinese ethnicity who were also fl- learning to fly or flying. And there is another woman named, and excuse me on my pronunciation on this, you guys, just there's going to be a few names that are a little bit difficult for me, but I'm going to do my best. So this is Zhang Xiaohun, and she has been called China's first female pilot. And there's also Kwon Kyo, who was born in Korea, but has also been called one of the first women pilots in China. So there is the idea of like nationality and ethnicity kind of mixing all up. And in the case of Catherine Suifun Chung, you know, she was born in China and then immigrated to the United States. And so, yeah, there is that caveat when it comes to this first. It's been said that she was also not the first Chinese woman to fly in the U.S. period, although she did, was the first, considered the first to have a pilot's license in the U.S. 
it's said that Anna Lowe is thought to be the first to do so. So yeah, there are a lot of names in here and they're all worthy of recognizing. I mean, they were early, they were all early pioneers in the flying game in the U.S. and in China and internationally too, once they, once they flew all around the world. Yeah, and I think the other thing about this that often happens, <laughs> often happens with these people is they get, when you have that one big name that's known in a culture, in this culture, it was Amelia Earhart. That person right. gets titled the fill-in ethnicity here <laughs> and then mm-hmm. fill-in the well-known name. And in this case, she was called the Chinese Amelia Earhart sometimes. And she did know Amelia Earhart, but that label was stuck on her in, in some news stories just because she was flying in the early days of, of women flying in the United States, flying planes. Right. And I know we discussed this in a past episode, um, but this is our second aviatrix. Mm-hmm. Yes. Which is a fun word to say. We <laughs> don't know necessarily if it's if it's a necessary title, but it is a fun word to say. <laughs> it aviatrix. is. When I was writing this, like when I was doing this, I remembered us talking about the word aviatrix because it really is a good one. And I think the plural is like aviatrices. And <laughs> that, like, that sounds so extra. But I'm, I'm here for a little extra, so I don't know. I'm, I'm kind of not mad at it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> I am a big word nerd, so I love that words that are fun to say. Yeah. Um, I'm not ashamed to admit it. It's embarrassing sometimes to admit it loud, but it's okay. <laughs> no, being a, being a word nerd, it's, it should not be embarrassing. No. Thank you. Thank you. Shall we get into her story here? Yeah. So, like I said a little bit earlier, she was born in China. She was born in Guangdong province on December 12th in 1904. And she went to the True Light Missionary School for Girls in Guangzhou. She learned to speak English. She kind of had a westernized education. And in 1921, when she was around 17 years old, she did uh, move to the United States. She moved to California and she traveled to the U.S. aboard the SS Nanking on a student visa. So at the time, of course, the United States since the 1880s was affected by the Chinese Exclusion Act. And that had a bunch of various implications on Chinese people that were in the United States for a while and the laws, the federal laws that surrounded that kind of situation changed over the years. But because she was a Chinese immigrant, she was affected by it for things like later. Couldn't vote, couldn't become a naturalized citizen, had to carry papers saying that she was legally here and other things like that. Yeah, so discrimination, like is <laughs> often the case in these stories from being a woman or from being an ethnic minority or whatever the case of marginalization is that is layered on top of being a woman in these female first stories. But yeah, so she she wanted to pursue a career in music at the time though. So she wasn't necessarily interested in flying when she moved to the United States. She studied at the University of Southern California, the Los Angeles Conservatory of Music and the California State Polytechnic University. And she played piano, and there have been people who have later in life, you know, people who have fictionalized her work or dramatized her work in different ways and gotten a chance to read her music. So she was like, she was, she was into really into music at the time and really delving deep into it. But the tables did turn 
when her father would teach her to drive near Dicer Airfield in Los Angeles. So that sounds like, a, it's like a very, it seems like a very wholesome thing. You know, they would go to, <laughs> they would go to this place. He would teach her to drive because she really wanted to. And while she was there, she noticed the airplanes that were nearby, you know, taking off and landing. And she became interested in it. You know, she became interested in airplanes in that time that she spent near the airfield. And she said herself that she had never seen airplanes when she was in China. And she said that her dad joked with her that if she took up flying, maybe she could go back to China as an Air Force commander. And they kind of laughed it off. And they're like, oh, ha, ha, you know, <laughs> yeah, that's nice to say, but like, it's not actually going to happen. But yeah. Did y'all ever have any interest in flying or yourselves? Like, has has that, that ever caught your attention or anything like that? Yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah um, I had a good friend who became a pilot. Like, he just got his pilot's license. He did become a pilot. And he loved it and talked about it all the time. And it just seemed like one of those really cool things that would just be fun. And I'm also somebody who's always looking for that, like new, exciting, adrenaline-pumping thing, and I thought that would be cool. But there was, you know, a lot of worries tied up in it because I just had... I am very clumsy. I don't like driving, as Samantha knows. I hate it. (laughs) But I might have more space in the sky, but I also... In the sky, so errors. <laughs> it is in the sky. That is very true. Yeah. yeah, I have never ever really thought about it because I am not a big risk taker. That's mm-hmm. what I've discovered of myself. And learning to fly and controlling small, you know, motorized things in the air seems really risky. I actually can't ride a bike for that same reason. Like it seems mm-hmm. too risky, and I don't understand how you can sit up on two wheels and just be able to go down a mountain or a hill without dying. Um, (laughs) That's fair. So to me, flying is even worse. And also reading too many reports of small planes crashing, I'm like, nope. Even though the likelihood is still not high, it's still just enough for me to be like, nope, I'm good. But driving, I don't have a problem with. Of course, when I'm driving, I'm still not a big risk taker. I'm not the one that's going down like, 90, you know, 90 miles per hour, just hopping lanes. I don't yeah. do that either. <laughs> yeah, I feel that. Yeah, I'm on the same page. I I don't think I could, flying would never be something I could do. One, I feel like I get tired too easily, so I would be afraid. Yeah. I'm also wear glasses, which yep. I'm also, I just, <laughs> the risk around like not having my glasses or breaking my glasses or I don't know, whatever. Right? Just like around my sightedness is something that I kind of, you know, think about when in terms of flying and I'm also like being in a large passenger airplane feels like a little bit safer for some reason than being in like a super small plane. And yeah, hearing about all those crashes and, you know, like I I definitely think twice about, you know, if in the future I would ever go to a place that requires me to be on one of those really small planes. It's like definitely some nervousness around it, but... Yeah. Yeah. Well, I was on a plane once where it was small enough that when you got on, they had to weigh everything and they had to weigh you. Mm-hmm. And they like oh, had okay. to calculate. Like there was 
math equations happening yeah. to get onto this plane. And I was like, ooh. <laughs> okay. I was like, like, I'll just stay here. Y'all, I'll go yeah. ahead. You do your thing. Yeah, yeah. My life that's is in fine. your hands, but it's cool. <laughs> <laughs> no, yeah, that to me, like, that's what's amazing. That this time, this adventure, it's even less safe. <laughs> right. A little less regulated that I'm like, yeah. whew, the level of really, like, life-taking yeah. risk that people are willing to do. And I love that for them. That's the adventure. Yeah. I like small adventures. This is one of those that's just like, nah, I'm good. It's too big, too high. Well, too big, too big. You know, it's interesting too, because I mean, everybody does this, but we've just sort of displayed the human nature of, I mean, it's much more, you're much more likely to die in a car, right? Yeah, much right. more likely to die in a car. Right. And yet we're like, oh, seems more risky to get into this <laughs> plane. <laughs> well, the, the other idea is, it seems even more risky if I'm the one controlling this way. <laughs> yeah. Uh, specifically, you know, yeah. yes. I got sense. you. I got you. <laughs> yeah, but I think, and, and in Chung's time, yeah, like it was even more, more risky back then because right. the field hadn't developed so much. And they were also using these old warplanes that were just passed down to them. And some of them were kind of actually rickety. <laughs> and... You know, something that I definitely wouldn't trust getting in. But and, and open cockpits and I, I like yeah, it's terrifying, honestly. <laughs> but Chung did it. <laughs> she did it. And she 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 did end up doing it. So she fell in love with that and realized, unlike Samantha, that she wanted to be the one who was in, who was doing the flying of the plane. <laughs> and in the nineteen tens and the nineteen twenties, like, even though it was early days of, you know, the explosion of people becoming pilots and definitely of women becoming pilots. Aviation itself was really hot. Like I said, there was all that surplus aircraft from World War One, and people were using planes for utility and for entertainment, and that was just expanding. Barnstorming was popular, which I think we talked about a little bit in the last episode in which we talked about aviation, but it was when pilots would entertain and perform stunts in airplanes. And at the time, women around the world were learning to fly and become pilots. People like Harriet Quimby, who became the first licensed female pilot in the U.S. in 1911. And so after studying for music for a few years, Chung left her studies in music she married her father's business partner, George Young, and they had two daughters together, Doris and Dorothy. And she went on to pursue that career in aviation once she kind of, you know, dumped that career pursuit of music specifically. A family friend got his pilot's license and invited her to take a ride with him in 1931. And she loved it. Like, you know, she loved it from the outside. And when she actually got in the plane, she realized that she liked it. And she, early on, he put out there and she also was down for going back to China and opening a school to teach people how to fly there. And so she soon signed up for $5 an hour flying lessons with the Chinese Aeronautical Association in Los Angeles. Her parents were supportive of her. She also mentions in an interview that her Husband was also very supportive of her. Like, she would get home late and it wouldn't be an issue for him. Like, you know, she did what she had to do. And all the people, the loved ones in her life seemed to recognize that she was really into flying and wanted her to do what she wanted to do, even if they were a little bit scared sometimes. <laughs> and her instructor early on was Bill Gage. 
after she had just over 12 hours of flight training, she did end up taking her solo flight. And she talked about how nervous she was when she went up into the air for the first time on her own. She kind of told her instructor, like, no, don't leave me. I don't want you to leave me. <laughs> like, this is scary. As you could imagine, you know, having someone there as your support and as your teacher when you're flying and then having that first time for you to go up on your own, of course, is like gaining your wings, so to say. <laughs> mm-hmm. And she did that. And she eventually got over that. She took off fine, landed fine. The flight was fine. And so in March of 1932, she got her flying license in the United States, which made her the first Chinese woman to receive a pilot's license in the U.S. There were around, as a rough number, 200 women who were licensed pilots in the U.S. at the time, which was a very small percentage of the overall number of pilots in the country at the time. And... Someone who I don't think we mentioned at the top of the episode when we're talking about other Chinese American and Chinese women who were, and women in China who were flying. Hazel Ying Lee, who was a Chinese American woman, got her pilot's license later that year as well. So I think it was around September. So not too long after Chung did. But yeah, after she got her license, after Chung got her license, she continued to study. She studied blind flying and acrobatics, and she joined the Women's International Association of Aeronautics. And she began performing stunt flying at fairs throughout California. And she would do stunts like spiral dives, inverted flying, barrel rolls, and all of those fun things that people like to watch for entertainment. (laughs) I can't hear barrel roll and not think of Star Fox. It's impossible. (laughs) (laughs) Barrel roll. Do a barrel roll. I'm interested in how learning how to do that. Like, I feel I could fly the plane. But then if you're asking me to, like, (laughs) do tricks, that's a different level. (laughs) (laughs) It makes me have a panic attack. I'm like, nope, nope, I'm good. Nope, nope, nope. Yeah, it it definitely would be, uh, as we've said, these planes at the time were rickety in some cases and open cockpits. It would be scary. It would be, I'm sure as an audience member, very exciting to watch. Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Exciting and scary. And there was a first time that she had to do those tricks. Yeah. On her own. And that seems terrifying. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. But hey. (laughs) <laughs> she seemed very passionate about it. 12 mm-hmm. hours, man. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Even though she had her private license, you know, since she was eligible for citizenship, she was supposedly denied a transport license, even though she was prepared enough and had enough training for it. But a couple of times in her story, there is clear support from communities of Chinese Americans who are willing to help her attain her goals. And in one case, some people in those communities raised around $2,000 to get her a fleet biplane. And yeah, she did end up getting her international flight license as well and was able to fly as a commercial pilot. And she competed in air races like the Los Angeles Women's Championship and the Ruth Chatterton Air Derby. Though she entered a bunch of those kind of races, she didn't set any speed or endurance records. But she still entered a bunch of those races and spent a lot of time in the air. 
And she joined the 99s, which was an organization of women pilots that was founded in 1929. And in 1931, Amelia Earhart was elected the first president. So, yeah, she was working at the same time. These were some of her contemporaries. She met other aviators like Charles Lindbergh, in addition to Earhart, and then Florence Poncho Barnes and a bunch of other people who were also in the business at the time, as you would expect, because she's running in some of those Mm -hmm. same circles. (laughs) What are endurance races for flying? How long you can go? Yeah. Is it on gas? Like, Uh, I mean, I think that, but also... You have to plan the gas. Yeah. But I'm sure, like, the open cockpit is cold up there. And there's many uh, levels of endurance. I just had a curiosity. (laughs) I didn't realize there was, I guess I should have, and there's a competitive, is it, I'm I'm guessing it still exists on a competitive level. Honestly, I have no idea. Oh, I'm sure. Yeah. I would think so. Everything's a competition, right? So, but like, yeah, I, it just didn't enter my head that that's a thing. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I love that too. I love how you said it, Eve. Like she didn't win any endurance. She didn't set any records with me. Like <laughs> I wish, like every time I'd won something, they'd be like, "Did you set any records?" Well, okay then. It did sound a little shady, didn't it? It wasn't meant to be shady, you know. I think we're still here talking about her for a reason, but <laughs> no, it's just funny. <laughs> it's to be noted. <laughs> Yeah, like there's, it's tell of her at one race and how she came in second to last and, you know, had a little issue. You know, it it happens. I mean, flying is hard already, so I can't can't imagine wanting to be competitive in flying. That just seems scarier. But yeah, I don't think that's something that she cared about much anyway. So who am I to, if she didn't care about it, then it doesn't really. I mean, to be fair, we would have asked if you hadn't mentioned it. Did she win? Oh, okay, she didn't? Cool. Okay, never mind. Yeah. Um, Not a value judgment. You know, we're not measuring her. No. Again, I wouldn't even be flying. So I'm not flying. I'm not going to pilot anything anytime soon. So yeah. 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 Good on her. All that time, she did have her sights on returning to China to teach aviation. In a 1936 article in the magazine Popular Aviation, that's what it was called then. I think it's called something different now. But she said, I don't see any reason why Chinese girls shouldn't be just as good pilots as girls anywhere. They are a long way removed from the tradition-bound Chinese women of a generation ago. They drive cars, so why not airplanes? And China, with its vast area and lack of other transportation, is the ideal field for air development. So, yeah, she had a lot of faith in flying and throughout the whole time wanted to go back to China and help teach people to learn how to fly there. And in 1937, Amelia Earhart disappeared. Also, that same year, Japan invaded China It was the time of the Second Sino-Japanese War. And Chung decided to go back and open a flight school to teach volunteers to fly. And she hoped to make a solo trans-Pacific flight to get there. And Chinese-American communities once again supported her. They contributed money to get her a plane to travel to China. But a pilot crashed that plane, unfortunately. And that pilot did end up dying after being hospitalized for a little bit that plane that she planned on flying to China in. So that was really 
you know, a really tragic event in her life. But her father, who was sick, heard about the incident and urged her to quit flying (laughs) and take care of her mother as concerned parents do, you know? (laughs) (laughs) Having a daughter who is flying and then seeing something like this happen, I can imagine that's something that (laughs) if you're already a little bit on the fence, you're kind of like, okay, like, I think we're good now. But yeah, (laughs) during World War II, she wanted to be an instructor, but her application for an instructor's rating was turned down three times. And so she did face a lot of obstacles. Well, you know, some obstacles along the way. So, of course. But in 1942, she did end up stopping flying and ran a shop until her retirement in 1970. Yeah, so she seems like she had, you know, a lot of support over the years that she was flying and a lot of recognition during her time. She did live a long life. But a lot of her accolades did come during her lifetime. So she lived in Los Angeles and Thousand Oaks in the later years of her life. And in 1989, after her husband died, she went to China and visited the town where she was born. The trip did garner media attention, so you can see some of those clips. And there were banquets and ceremonies celebrating her and recognizing her as this, you know, champion of aviation, coming back to her hometown and having made accomplishments while she was in the United States. And there was a report in the LA Times in 1993 when she was 90 years old about her joining the celebrations of the 75th anniversary of the ratification of the 19th Amendment. And in the article, she's quoted as saying, they told me in China that women should be in the kitchen, not in the cockpit. I wanted to be in the cockpit. (laughs) Um, So... (laughs) She was inducted into the International Women in Aviation Pioneer Hall of Fame at the Santa Monica Museum of Flying, and the Chinese Consul General of Los Angeles awarded her a medal on behalf of the Chinese government for her aviation accomplishments. And she ended up dying in 2003 at age 98. There were other, like I said, I mentioned a little bit earlier, I think, you know, fictional works that have been done based on her. There have been art gallery exhibits, you know, photos of her. And other things that recognized her achievements in flying throughout her lifetime and kind of commemorated her work in the field. And yeah, I think she seems like she was a really daring and adventurous person. And it seems pretty delightful in the interviews of her. And yeah, I mean, flying, (laughs) (laughs) flying, flying. Mm. I do love stories of people like this where it seems like she was really passionate about things. And I love, like, she was into music. It sounds like she was really good at that. And that's just such a pivot mm-hmm. to go to flying and then to be, be so into that. Um, I find that really, really interesting. Yeah. Yeah. I don't know. Did you mention when she, because uh, I did see that she was into music. What Did she play an instrument? Did she sing? She played the did piano. Did she teach? She played piano. piano. Well, there's a whole lot of connection of like the math and the technicalities behind both flying mm-hmm. yeah. as well as music. So I think there is a small correlation, but it is very dynamically different in yeah. how it's <laughs> presented. Yeah, for sure. Right. Yeah, definitely, definitely. I was always jealous of my friends who could play the piano. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it I, looks so elegant. <laughs> I could play one song that I can't remember. It was some nursery rhyme, like Mary Had a Little Lamb. I don't know. Yeah, I it was like one thing, and that was the farthest I got. And 
I could play like Jaws theme and <laughs> oh. Ukrainian bell care. Just the three notes. I can do yeah. that. <laughs> I, I could play the chopsticks for like a split second. But if you ask me to do it again, I can't remember. Yeah. Like someone had taught me, so I did it. And then it just went out my head. I'm like, oh, mm. okay, that was it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's one of those things. Piano is the dexterity is the thing that I wish that I had. And right. I feel like, even though I feel like I definitely don't naturally have that kind of dexterity that, um, it seems like something that I could really benefit from learning the piano just for that. No, but it is like, yeah, I think it is very interesting that she pivoted, you know, even though they did have some sort of correlation, you know, it is a pivot to say like, I came, you know, she came a long way <laughs> to mm-hmm. to pursue music. And I think acting on the thing that she realized she was interested in and going full steam ahead in it so quickly, I think is really cool because I think a lot of the times there can be a lot of hesitance around actually going after that thing. You're like, oh, I like it. And I realized that there's a spark of interest in it for me. And that's mm-hmm. been peaked. But I don't know. I, I'm, I'm here for music and I want to stay in music. But yeah, I appreciate that too. Yeah. Yeah. Very, very inspiring. Anything else that you want to add before we wrap up, Eves? No, I think that is all. That is all. Well, where can the good listeners find you? You can find me at Eve's Jeffco on Twitter, at Not Apologizing on Instagram, also on the show's This Day in History class, which is a daily show about history and people and events that took place every single day. And also on Unpopular, a show about people who really defied everything in history and we're persecuted for it and tells those stories. Yes. And as we mentioned, you can find Eves here on this very show. 20 episodes (laughs) in, 25th, we're going to do something. Probably. (laughs) Hopefully. (laughs) Did we say cheesecake last time? We said cheesecake and champagne. Okay, okay. Uh, Sounds very luxurious. Which is going to be an interesting uh, (laughs) combination. (laughs) Um, Thanks, as always, for joining us, Eves. If you would like to contact us listeners, you can. Our email is stuffmediamomstuff at iheartmedia.com. You can also find us on Instagram at Stuff I'm Never Told You or on Twitter at MomStuffPodcast. Thanks, as always, to our super producer, Christina. Thank you. <laughs> and thanks to you for listening. Stuff I've Never Told You is a production of iHeartRadio. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. 